Today on episode two, season two of the Horror Pod Class, we're talking about liminal spaces, games not to teach your 11-year-old, bathroom bills, and the 2018 movie Truth or Dare. Live from Kirk Memorial Studios, this is Episode 2, Season 2 of the Horror Pod Class. I am Tyler Unsel, and I teach speech, debate, and English at a local high school here in Kansas City, Missouri. I also teach Zombie 101, which is a film-slash-survival class at Truman State University in the summer. I am the co-owner of Signal Horizon, a website devoted to the intersection of horror, science fiction, and pedagogy, and I'm really excited to be back for season two of the Horror Pod Class. Mike, what about you? Well, my name is Mike. I'm super, super excited to be talking to you today about the movie Truth or Dare. So Tyler, truth or dare? Truth or dare. Truth, Michael. Truth, Tyler. <laughs> truth. What are you drinking tonight? Is it? Is it? Is it ah. really a Shirley Temple? It it is with extra mm. cherries. Nope it's a it's a Carta Blanca and it's pretty good. So, yeah, oh, man, excellent. Your uh, your truth or dare uh, is not nearly as scary as the one that we watched uh, that we'll talk about later. Yeah, this is. Uh, I think I think what we're going to try to do today is we're going to try to talk smart about a really dumb movie. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. But I, you know, like we'll get into the movie later. But I thought it was kind of inter- it was at the very least it was entertaining. It was okay. We have watched way worse movies. Uh, so. Maybe, maybe. But uh, but in the moment of watching this one, uh, it was bad. But hey, before we get there, Tyler, bad. what you reading? What you watching? What are you excited about? Yeah. So uh, I took my eleven year old that I talk about quite a bit to uh, Unfriended Dark Web. It uh, is the newest Blumhouse uh, Unfriended movie. And you can check out my review on Signal Horizon. I liked it. I liked it pretty good. It was a fun summer horror movie. It was. It felt significantly lighter than the first one, which I think really brought up some important issues about like cyberbullying and that kind of stuff. But it was a hoot. So, and Jack was sufficiently. My son was sufficiently um, scared by it. So he he asked like halfway through during the scary moments, like, "Do you do you think it's almost done?" <laughs> It's like, yeah, bud, I think it is. And then we had a really interesting conversation about human trafficking on the way home. So it was all in all uh, a great evening. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm also uh, reading some Robert Aikman. I've got just really great friends that have recommended his short stories to me, uh, including uh, Phil Gillott, who directed They Remain and uh, a number of other films. He's just a tremendous writer, and he has always talked up uh, Robert Aikman. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a go. Uh, I really liked the short story, Mark Ingester, The Customer's Tale, which you can find in the collected uh, short fiction of Robert Aikman. And it, it is weird. I would almost describe it as Legatian. No. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Hopefully hopefully, I'll get a chance, as I usually do, to talk about uh, some some Thomas Legati. That's pretty cool. I, oh, I haven't I'm... read a whole lot of Robert Aikman, but I did read a short story that originally appeared. It was uh, It's from Brian Evanson, and it originally appeared in... 
a collection that was a homage to uh, Robert Aikman. I think it's called Aikman's Heirs or something like that. But it was really good. It was really oh, good. okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, I've been reading uh, Lost Highways, and I got to a really good story by Oren Gray there. Shout out to shout out to Oren Gray, uh, writing some really good stuff. But uh, I had to put Lost Highways down because I got Vastarian issue two in the mail. And yeah. uh, Vastarian is absolutely awesome. It is a literary journal that is edited by Matt Cardin and, uh, and John Padgett. It's all about... Uh, a critical reception to uh, Ligotti's body of uh, short stories and works and fiction and nonfiction. So it's awesome. It's got fiction, nonfiction. It's got poetry in it. It's got some original artwork. It is just, it is just really, really cool. And if you want to know more about it, you can, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to my review of issue two um, in the show notes. So, yeah. So, um, not not to poo poo your beloved Legati. Mm-hmm. I know that's a big deal, but uh, I really liked Orrin Gray's short story in um, Lost uh, Lost Films, right? Lost Films. No, I think that right? was in the Year's Best Horror Ten. Oh, it, it is the Year's yeah, Best Horror yeah, Ten, right? Yeah, because and it's a uh, it's the Grand Falloon. It right? is. It is. Which is which is yeah. which is a uh, a reference to uh, Kurt Vonnegut, which was pretty cool. And yes. it, and it, yeah. it involves a, uh, a a creepy old movie theater. So, oh, and it's so good. And I, I will tell you, it reminds me of uh, we have this great older movie theater in uh, North Kansas City called uh, Screenland Armor. But it's got this like re- like the big theater, and it has this pretty large proscenium and like kind of the old velvety seats and it just feels and i mean this in the best way possible kind of musty Mm -hmm. and and aged you know and there are scenes in the grand falloon where i like am just envisioning that theater and it was just super cool so yeah he's he, he he's a really interesting guy that i think is doing a lot of really cool stuff right now I haven't read any of uh, Orrin Gray's single author collections. I'm pretty sure there's there's at least one or two out. Uh, but one of those one of those authors that uh, I just keep running across in anthologies and in uh, Year's Best Horror uh, volumes. So yeah, so and and I always like the stuff. So there you go. Yeah, I think he's he's doing really interesting stuff right now, and I think uh, he's somebody that we should really take a look at in the future. So, Mike, uh, do we have some dark corners of the web? Yeah, man, let's talk about some dark dark corners of the web where you can find some absolutely free fiction, some free horror fiction out there. So I am going to recommend a little short story that appeared in Pseudopod either last week or week before um, called The Fainting Game, and that's by Nino Capri. And it, it will go very well along with uh, Truth or Dare because it's another kind of game that is played in, in, in high school. But uh, don't play the fainting game. It's very dangerous and it can, uh, you know, hurt your, hurt, hurt your brain. Kill your brain cells, man. Don't do it. Right. And, and again, uh, I, I make my 11-year-old listen to a lot of this and we have a lot of travel time to and from practice, so... I started that story out by saying it's this is not a cool or fun game, and he was like, "Oh, really? Yeah, like it." And I, I felt like introducing him to that idea was kind of a mistake. So I spent like the last half of the short story 
uh, more worried that he was going to do something stupid. So, but I, I, I loved the fainting game. I thought it was really, really, really good. 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 Yeah. I, I, I liked it too. I liked it too. Okay, man. So Tyler, what is our uh, essential question today? What are we going to try to answer? Who are we going to truth and dare? What, what, what the hell are we doing? Yes. So today we are going to attempt to answer through the masterpiece that is truth, uh, the 2018 movie truth or dare, uh, Using the 2018 movie Truth or Dare, do rites of passage help our teenagers become adults? And why are movies centered around these rites of passage so darn scary? Mm, interesting, interesting. Well, let's um, let's ring that spoiler bell because we are because I'm going to spoil the hell out of this movie from the very beginning. There's not really a whole lot to spoil, though. I don't think if uh, you don't want if you just want to listen to this whole podcast and not go back and watch this movie. If you've never watched this movie, I don't know. I think I would I would recommend this as a skip. I think um, I paid really a total a total skip? Sp- oh, well, a, a, a skip at this point because um, uh, I had to pay money to see it. Right. So. Um, yeah, I All mean, right. I, would, I, would, I would, at this point, I mean, I don't know if it comes out on Netflix or something like maybe, and you're like super bored and you just have to watch a, a, a horror movie based around a high school game, then yes, this will be the movie for you. Otherwise I would just say skip it. Damn, that's some I cool know, business. Man. I mean, you, it was not my favorite you, movie, but hey, hey, before we talk, let's ring right. that bell. Okay, Mike. Truth or dare? Truth or dare? Ooh, uh, I'll take I'll take a truth. Okay. If you would rather, or or would you rather, watch this movie a second time or have your wisdom teeth removed? Again? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Watching the movie Truth or Dare did not result. in in a prescription for painkillers. So I'm going to go with get my wisdom teeth taken out again. <laughs> Damn. I business. know, man. I know. Look, man, I just thought that this entire movie was like super derivative. It was, uh, it was just kind of tired all the way around, all the way up until the ending, which was lifted like straight out of the ring. Uh, so I don't know. It didn't, it did, it did absolutely nothing for me. Yeah, well, and and we'll get to that ending, but I, I like I agree, it, it didn't occur to me that those endings shared that kind of like uh, the same thing motif. No, same, 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 yeah, it is the same. Well, thing. it was like the same thing. It was like the same thing. Only probably the ring did it better, but it would be difficult to do that ring ending now because there aren't any like blockbusters anywhere, you know? Because uh, I am relatively certain. That was kind of the the central component of the ring was they like I th- I thought she broadcast it from a from a television studio but whatever it doesn't matter it was it was it was derivative of that so uh, I don't I didn't I didn't I didn't, I didn't particularly like it I didn't I didn't I think thought, that there was really any it's like oh a bunch of a bunch of college kids they oh they go down to Mexico they're gonna have some fun you know and then oh but bad things happen I mean come on man I mean come on and the whole as they pass the game back and forth to each other. Man, that it's like uh, somebody watched It Follows maybe one too many times. Mm, kind of like did that did, did the kid that, shows up and then gives it to her. I mean, come on, ah, uh, no. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think it shares. Yeah, that 
It's it's not it's not exactly like it follows. It's way more like Final Destination. Uh, okay, uh, no, another another movie that it ripped off. It's got a whole bunch of Final Destination crap in it that it totally totally ripped off. I think the one thing it doesn't have is, uh, you know, towards the end of the Final Destination series, they would just come up with more and more like gruesome, really <laughs> awful kills. Like there was nothing particularly clever that I can remember. No. About any of the deaths here. You know, like, one guy, like, tripped uh, on a billiard ball and, like, yeah. broke his neck on a pool know, table. Okay. I am, we almost saw that happen in college. Like, a couple of times. So. I mean, that's like that's like the number two killer of uh, of college students. But anyways, uh, let's. <laughs> drunk, drunk frat, frat boys. boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. Okay. So, let's give, them, let's give them a brief synopsis. If they have not. If, if a listener out sure. there has not seen this movie. Uh, and and may, I don't know. I don't even know if you want to go want to go see it it's man it was bad it was bad it it it, it did get two yeah. nominations at the 2018 teen choice awards though so yeah hey well we'll kind of talk about that mm-hmm. here in just a second i i can probably tell you why um so all right so here's the brief synopsis a harmless game of truth or dare among friends turns deadly when someone or something begins to punish those who tell a lie or refuse uh to finish the dare it's uh, directed by Jeff Wadlow, who uh, folks may know best because he's done a ton of this um, episodes in a show on FX called The Strain that I think is really yeah, good yeah. And, and like entertaining yeah. and, and has great and interesting. How did characters. he get mixed up in this? He also, yeah, well, money, <laughs> I, would, I imagine. Uh, but uh, he also wrote Kick-Ass 2, which I didn't like as much as Kick-Ass, but I, it was still hmm. good. Okay. Well, so, yeah. and, and, and apparently they they made a, they made a mountain of money off of this movie. So, well, yeah. of course, that's I mean, this is the Blumhouse like formula, yeah. right? And you can't you can't blame them. They made a ton of money, uh, and they didn't have to spend very much because if you look at most of the actors, and they did, uh, okay, they did a middling job, you know, of of what they needed to do. Uh, but they all are like this hodgepodge of, like, teenage drama ingenues, you know, or or bows. So like they're, you know, it's mostly just these folks that probably don't have a lot of movies under their belts yet, and paid them decent wages, but they're mostly known for their their TV work. Mm-hmm. Right now. So. It's it's gross domestic product was forty one million dollars. It made close to a hundred million dollars worldwide. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. So obviously, I did not like the movie. Um, I think I think you were lukewarm about the movie, but the movie worked for a lot of people out there. I think that's what's most important. So so I, oh, so yeah. I so I apologize if I'm kind of like really down on the movie or whatever. But I think we need to delve into why this particular movie worked for so many people and what things about it did work. Cause I think we talked a lot about, I talked a lot about things that didn't work. Yeah. Um, here's, here is what I think appeals to people. And the thing is when we talk about some of the research that we've done about the movie, it won't be research specific to this movie, but more the archetype of what this movie is. This is group of d- Adolescents, you know, teenagers, late teenager, early college, something like that, uh, 
go to a crazy place, do a crazy thing, uh, end up being haunted or stalked by said uh, crazy demon that they have attracted at this place. And they have to figure out how to... You know, combat mm-hmm. it, and how to how to fight it, how to how to yeah. get rid of it. So, when we were researching this, what was most interesting to me was uh, the idea of liminal spaces. Mike, do you know? Uh, have you heard that term, like in psychology or philosophy? I had never heard the term liminal spaces until uh, I started reading some. Uh, some work associated with uh, with uh, critical interpretations of Thomas Ligotti, believe it or not. Don't yes, say it. Yes, no. believe it or not. No. Yeah. Of course. Oh of course, God. man. Of course. So We're just going to have to start calling this the Ligotti <laughs> po- podcast. <laughs> there, isn't, there isn't one yet. We can always change the name. Anyways, Tyler. <laughs> Tyler, truth or dare? Truth or dare. Um... Dare. I think I have to take dare according to according the according to the the convoluted movie rules. Yes, you do have to. You do have to. You do have to take the. Uh, according to the convoluted movie rules, you are correct. You have to take a dare, and your dare will be light yourself on fire. What do? You <laughs> Sweet. All right. Hold on. I'll be right back. <laughs> no. 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 Um. That was the Wicker Man yeah, episode that was we the did Wicker last Man time. Episode. So yeah, we got we got we got we got to do we got to do something else. Dare tell us define liminal spaces for us. Hey, yeah. very good. So, um, liminal spaces is probably the best definition I found. Comes from, believe it or not, a article written in. Uh, the CJCD online uh, newsletter that talks about uh, liminal spaces between adolescence and adulthood. All right. And the article argues that the concept of the liminal space was first coined as an anthropological term by Arnold Van Gennep in uh, Rites of Passage, written in 1908, which maintains that such between spaces are integral to human processes of ritual and transformation as often passages as uh, as often painful passages between alternative states involving the removal of previously taken for granted forms and limits essentially what uh you know uh, arnold van ginnep is arguing that a liminal space is like uh particularly in looking at stages of development it is the time period between these epochs of time that we have uh, as human beings. So when horror movies constantly have these teenagers that are old enough to do drugs, old enough to drink, old enough to have sex, but aren't old enough to really take care of themselves, they exist in this liminal space that makes them particularly vulnerable and makes us, the audience, particularly scared for mm. them. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. So this this liminal space thing uh, originally did start in um, anthropology, but it's really there uh, it's really spun out into a lot of other into a lot of other disciplines. There's there's a lot of good work about um, liminal liminal figures and liminal characters um, from uh, religion and folklore 
Um, you can, uh, for example, anytime you've got uh, a, a creature that is like part human, part animal, right? That can be seen as a liminal figure because they're not human. Sure. They're not animal. They're somewhere in between, right? And uh, it's really, really fascinating that our that, that what is most important is where we draw the borders between two different things. And if something doesn't fit neatly in between there, there's this uh, there's this kind of tension that arises. Um, yeah, and that's that's exactly it's one of the things that we talk about in Zombie 101 quite a bit. Is probably the best example of a liminal character or a liminal being would be a zombie because it fits perfectly within what we call the uncanny valley, which is this idea that they vaguely uh, that a zombie vaguely resembles a human being, but it's so subtly off that we know it's not. So it exists in this world where it's kind of us, but not really. And that makes us as human beings super creeped out. For lots of different reasons, uh, some kind of primitive, some really intellectual, but it's in that space that real fear and apprehension and dread kind of uh, can build. Yeah, yeah. So, so like with zombies, you know, you can think the same thing of vampires. You can think the same thing of um, um, like mannequins just something creepy mm-hmm. about them, right? Sure. So liminal figures also uh, have, uh, there's like there's like a power to them too, sometimes. Um, so like, for example, um, you can you can say that a, um, a zombie is in between life and death, right? It's not alive. It's right. not dead. It's undead, whatever. Um, let's think about some other liminal figures that are in between life and death um, that are more socially acceptable. Uh, and they draw great power from that. So I can think of one, which would be like Jesus, right? He's he well, was arguably Jesus was the first zombie because he was he's dead and then brought exactly. back to life. Yeah, yeah. Right? So the first zombie, Jesus, you know, Os- Os- no, Osiris. Osiris was the first zombie, but um, because oh, he was okay. also brought back to life. So uh, a lot of cultures do have this for our Egyptian friends out yeah. there. Yeah, sorry. Uh, like I think Persephone, you know, like so. There's there's a lot of like uh, of those kind, sure. those kind of uh, those kind of figures too. Uh, back to the back to the high school though. Um, so I was thinking about this. I think that a lot of people out there might say, e- "Yeah, but in the United States, we don't really have like rites of passage. Yeah, how does this really kind of apply?" And I got to thinking about the um, in anthropology, they talk about the liminal time as like the time during the uh, during the ceremony. Right. Where you've entered the ceremonial space and you're not you haven't completed the ceremony yet, but you're no longer a child, not an adult, not a child, liminal space. And between the liminal space that um, kids in high school have is not um, the actual graduation itself. It's senior week. Right. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. because in senior week, you've you've completed all the things you need to do. But you haven't gone through the ritual yet. So you're outside of both worlds and you're in this liminal space. And guess what? We let them get away with all kinds of crap during that time. Right. So like they don't like they don't show up to class. You know, if Tyler, you know, if you and I showed up at our old high school and we did a senior prank now, we'd be put in jail. But during senior week, we, we could. And it was ah, it was funny. I mean, 
let's let's be honest. If you show up within a hundred feet of any school, you'll probably be put in jail, right? <laughs> uh, well, that's only in certain states. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, my bad. Yeah. Now, I, like, I like the idea of Senior Week. I would maybe even take it a step farther and and draw some allusion uh, to Truth or Dare. Why did they go to Mexico to begin with? Do you remember? A spring break. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I if if there were a Western representation of like a rite of passage, uh, it would have to be that kind of we're gonna we're gonna go to spring break. A lot of times, leave the country, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we're going to engage in all kinds of risky behavior and hopefully come out the other side uh, safe and sound, having had all of these experiences. That, like, the idea of leaving for spring break is a liminal experience. That spring break itself is a liminal yeah. space. So, and if you and if you start if you start busting this down even even further, you know, spring is a liminal time in between uh, uh, winter and summer. Okay, the right. place that they go, I don't I don't remember exactly if the place they go is on the border, but uh, I, I lived for many years in El Paso, and uh, and. El Paso and Ciudad Juarez are kind of a liminal space in in and of themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you technically when you're in El Paso, you're technically in the United States, but it's very much very much different. You're definitely in the border. You're in the borderland, you know. Um, so I don't know if they yeah. go to the up uh, if they go to uh, if the town they go to is actually on the border, but there is um, uh, a they're very close yeah, to it. it. I mean, or they... or they're in a super touristy town that acts as a liminal space anyway. So, right. Well, and and if you'll remember, they conjure the demon from a like a broken down mission, right? It was this place that had this religious value at one point in time, and now it's just kind of, um, you, you know, like it's this ramshackle kind of fallen apart mm-hmm. building. That within itself, the the mission uh, is going through a liminal period too. It doesn't, you know, like it, it no longer serves the purpose that it used to have. Uh, but we don't exactly know where it's going to be now. So like, yeah, I think I I thought that that sounded like like BS for a second, but no. Now I now I now I, from thinking about it, I do agree, right? Because it's clearly no longer a mission, right? But it isn't right. just a building. It's in between, right? It's it's, 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 it's right. Yeah. It's it's it's. I, I like it. Housing Holy and well, and, wow, and, that's and, smart, man. And, We're talking smart about a dumb well, movie. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. All right. And you and it falls down at the end of the movie, right? Like it like it was this mission and now it's rebel and in the meantime it spread this demon that likes to play uh, children's yeah. games. So, you know, awesome. So, yeah. I mean and and if we wanted to take it one step further, this is probably a step too far. We got to okay? take it there though. Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's, do let's go. I'm you ready, ready for, for it? it? Yeah. Wait for this. Dare me. Dare me. Ready? Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, when one asks truth or dare 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 truth or the moment before you answer represents liminal space right wow that's that's mind blown over here Okay, and here is my theory, all right? This goes around to my my ultimate theory of the movie. The theory of the movie is a rejection of liminal space, period, okay? The demon in the movie forces you to pick truth or dare, all right? So it removes liminal space when it can. 
It removes the mission, which we said is a liminal building or whatever. Uh, it removes the space between truth or dare because it mandates that you pick one or the other. And at the end of the day, there is this very unique period of time that these teenagers are going through. And at the end of the movie, they eliminate that liminal space by making everybody go through that. Amazing. This yeah, is right. Oh, that wow. movie was super this movie deep. Was we super deep and we didn't even know it. Wow. Wow. I mean, you should be. I, I, I totally am. I totally am. So, but not saying that they set out to do this. I think that they just, no. I think that they just fell into these things because liminal spaces um, are just this natural ground for, for horror. And I think that, I think if we, you know, if we were to just write a random kind of movie script, uh, there would be there would be a lot of liminal terror uh, uh, in it, just by the nature of it being being horror, because we are we are so f- yeah. we are so frightened of these things. So, yeah. Well, um, in that article that I was talking about before, it mentions that horror movies themselves, like, are examples of liminal space because they're not canon right they're on the periphery and they're not held to some of the same standards or they can you know they can be transgressive in fact that's part of the reason why we love horror movies so much and the transgressive nature of them all makes them uh like to us exist in this liminal world right and when i read that passage I, i didn't know if i believed it a whole lot but then i thought like Going to see scary movies can sometimes be like rites of passage, right? Yeah. Uh, they're they're often like at midnight. Remember when like the big scary movies would be released? It's scarier to see them at night. Like the total, it totally works. So it does. And 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 this is this is kind of I think I think liminal space is a uh, maybe like horror two hundred one and not a horror one hundred one type concept. But um, once you've read a little bit about it, it it makes man it makes makes a whole lot of sense makes a whole lot of sense yeah so i i think the the line i like that i cut historically elements corresponding to the logic of both and are regarded by society society as exceptional scandalous and even monstrous often efforts are made to repress or at least to neutralize representation of in-betweenness that's right which and that and that's like, that, that's from Scott Carpenter, right? From yeah, critic, yeah. Scott, Scott Carpenter, yeah. Okay. So, like, I love that as a discussion of like why we take things that are we're used to being binary, and they're no longer binary, and it weirds people out. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I mean, and I think I, I think that there's like a greater societal. Um, uh, discussion, you know, to, to be to be had about this. Um, there was, I mean, if you look at it, at some of the, um, and this is this is kind of faded from the news because there's so much other just crazy, silly garbage, you know, going on. But um, maybe what like a year ago, two years ago, there was this really, um, it, it was it was almost a like a insane amount of um, fear of um, the transgender community in in, in yeah, bathrooms. Yeah, that's exactly where I was yeah, hoping you were and, going. And, yeah, and, and so 
It was like half the country lost, lost its collective mind because they thought they yeah. might stumble onto a transgender person in the bathroom. And so, yeah. I mean, you think about it. I mean, just from a logical point of view, you know, there's like, man, there's there's like a whole lot of other, you know, things that probably you should be scared <laughs> of other than, you know, but... I, you know, and I never really I kind of understood. I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not by any means saying that this is the only reason. But, uh, but boy, I think that I think that the the liminality of, uh, of 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 the transgender community could be part of the reason that it elicits so much of this really like unwarranted fear in some people. So I don't know. I I, yeah. I didn't I didn't read that anywhere, but uh, I think I think it'd be something kind of interesting to to look at. Yeah. I, I and and to to draw that back to the movie for a moment like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best to make this movie smart okay, okay? i think i think we've been doing that, a good job. you've been doing an awesome job yeah yeah that that the fear of uh the non-binary exists through this entire movie like the entire movie drives you to pick a choice mm-hmm. right and that's the thing like truth or dare, that's a choice that you have to make. That's a binary that you choose, right? And then there are a couple of times. In fact, the big reveal at the end is like you have to pick one or the other of these girls, right? And he like loves one but really cares about the other, and so he like runs away, right, so as not to kill them both. Uh, but ultimately, like, dies in the process and and like can't banish the demon. But like the whole movie is about making these choices. And dealing with the consequences because not making the choices worse, and I think from that perspective, I, I like I don't, I don't know if the movie is great from a sociological perspective, but from a comfort with a liminal space, like clearly, it, the the these characters were not into that. Yeah, know? yeah, no, it's 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 that we have to we have to define everything and everything has to like fit into these categories that we've made and. Uh, and that that's that that is this kind of natural. This, there's this undercurrent that that's a natural drive that we are kind of ingrained to have, and I think that as you know, kind of thinking, educated, kind of logical beings, you've really got to start trying to unpack that and say, you know, there is a lot of liminal space, and we need to figure out how to. How to how to deal with it other than just like like trying to trying to mash it into one side or the other. So I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's 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 super interesting. Yeah, I mean, just like looking at anything. Like even if you're, um, you know, if you're if you're a lawyer, you know, most of the most of most lawsuits and like stuff that gets to like the Supreme Court or whatever, you know, it's going to be on things that are. It, it's going to be on the fuzzy areas in between the law. You know, right. the gray yeah, yeah. I mean, they even yeah. have a term. They say the bright line. You know. That you need to have a bright line in your uh, a judge needs to have a bright line in their decision, you know. This is on one side and this right. is on the other side. So yeah, no, this is this is super super interesting. I, hmm. I think it it this conversation brings me back around to uh, my favorite piece of research I dug up when reading about liminal spaces and horror movies and um, Truth or Dare. It's by Michael Starr. From uh, Slayage, the Journal of Whedon Studies Association. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, right? I told that to my wife, and she's like, can we please sign up for it? <laughs> I love it. Like, maybe. I don't know how much it is. Yeah. So the name of the article is Whedon's 
Great Glass Elevator, Space, Liminality, and Intertext in uh, The Cabin in the Woods. Huh. Have you seen yeah, that movie? Yeah. Huh. Okay. His, his ultimate argument of the paper is that the elevator that the characters take that that take them from like you know camp crystal lake or whatever they call it there down into the inner workings of uh you know the office building or whatever we want to call that the corporation uh really represents liminal space but what i think is way more interesting in the article and germane to kind of what we're talking about is the idea that the movie celebrates unlike truth or dare the kind of liminal space by picking apart the forced archetypes of the characters. Mm -hmm. So like you have, it introduces all of these characters and, and like they, they each play this very specific role. In fact, they give them drugs and like dye their hair, you know, so they'll get more like those archetypes, but it's a rejection of those archetypes that is ultimately freeing that ultimately like, uh, you know, saves the people at the end and forces uh, like a complete reboot of civilization. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I was totally like, I thought that was really interesting. And I think is part of the reason why Cabin in the Woods is such a compelling movie to folks like you and I that like horror movies so much. Yeah. Huh. That is that is super interesting. I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that. Cabin in the Woods had liminal space in it too, but I mean, you can you can find this you can find this concept kind of kind of all over, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Particularly in I think the the horror field, you know, like I think these people, the the people that produce thoughtful horror, especially, are keenly aware of how how they can operate in this space. Yeah. Do you remember? Uh, this is a little off topic, but not really. In my mind, it's the visualization of the liminal space and why it's so scary. Uh, do you remember a book I'm, or a short story? I'm relatively certain it's Stephen King uh, called The Jaunt. The Jaunt, uh, the Jaunt is one of the greatest sci-fi horror pieces ever. It's nice and short, and I think I think it's Stephen King's best work, my opinion. Oh, my, opinion. my gosh. So, but, I, but, he, he won, I think he won, he won some kind of big award for it. Like that's that that's seriously one of his best things. Yeah. Okay. So, the idea that the space between here or there, right, and in this, you know, like transportation or you know, yeah, how this we, teleportation we, thing in the future or whatever. Right, yeah. Right. And you've got to be you've that, got that, to be sedated for it. Right. This this in between space is so terrifying that it drives people mad mm. if they have to spend time in it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Because there's really... Because um, they're going to, like, another star or something. So there's, like, nothing... Another planet somewhere, right? So there's nothing that is more uh, hard and fast as the here, and, you know, and there is, like, 300 light years over there or whatever, right? Right. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so so the I think and I think another another thing that's interesting to think about is that you know, liminal spaces are um, the more uh, hard that line is, the more scary the liminal space in between is, right? Oh, yeah, you, totally. I yeah, so that. so there, all right? So like here versus 300 million light years or whatever like those are very clear like different places right so the liminal space where you jaunt between them is super scary life and death right there is 
life is here, death is on the other side. There is nothing in between. So anything that is in between is is very scary. Human and, and not yeah. human, you know. Uh, well, and, and and folks that can operate between those two worlds uh, are decidedly creepy within themselves, you know, or, or things that uh, transgress both of the, you know, yeah. like it reminds me of uh, the Kevin Bacon vehicle from a while ago with the really terrible remake that just came out, Flatliners. The idea that you can die and then be brought yeah. back to life and, and these things mm-hmm. kind of follow you. The original was actually had some creepy moments to it. Not so much the remake, but the idea is still the same. Yeah, but I mean, so back to the idea of um, socially acceptable liminal space being powerful. Okay, remember how the how the um, the senior can get away with the senior prank during senior week, but no, mm-hmm. but not any other time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure, because it's socially acceptable because we've created that construct, right? Um, someone like John Edwards, okay, who talk he he's the guy that talks to dead people, right? You know who I'm talking about, right? Oh, I thought I thought he was the senator that you know. I think that's a different oh, John okay. Edwards. Am I thinking? I thought you were going to talk about his adultery. <laughs> it was like Jesus. That took a really strange turn. But go truth, ahead. truth, truth, you. or All dare? Right. Talk about John Edwards' adultery? No, John Edwards. I'm I'm thinking of the right guy, right? I mean, he was like the guy that can talk to your dead relatives and shit, right? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take okay. your word for it. I I I hope I hope I'm not just making up this guy. But anyways, you look at his whole act. Right, because it's an it's an act. You can sue me, John Edwards. You're a fraud. It's it it's John Edwards. Oh, it is. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying not to get sued there, Tyler. We, come on, we will, come on. We, we 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 will include a link if you would like a private reading in the show notes. <laughs> all right, all right. So, anyways, this fraud. Um, notice that his <laughs> that his nice. that his whole act right is um, set up in a socially acceptable way because. It um, has some of the um, the trappings of uh, Christianity in it. Okay, so he got his power. His power comes from God, right? Um, he talks to your to your um, to your 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 dearly departed. Only the ones that went to heaven, right? He can't talk to the ones that went to hell. You know, like that kind of thing. And that's that's actually in his in his bit. Socially acceptable. He we give him power because of that, and we give him money. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So well, and and check it out. We give him eight hundred and fifty dollars if he wanted a private reading. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We're in the wrong business. You got that right. I mean, I will. But no. But I will come to your. <laughs> I will come to your place and give you a private reading of whatever horror movie you would like for half that. Half it. Yeah. So, but just imagine if John Edwards like showed up and he uh, uh, had a had a cow skull on his head. And he danced around okay. in a pentagram, right? We would be like, "Woo, this guy is not socially acceptable. This guy's a fucking scary liminal space because he's channeling our right. dead people, right?" So there's a, so there's right. yeah, there's this uh, socially acceptable liminal spaces can give you can give you power. What what we have it can give us power and can represent positively the change in our lives, right? There's a reason why millions of parents let their kids go to spring break. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why we allow seniors to act like assholes, <laughs> you know, because it's this necessary transition and phase that they all have to go through. Yeah. But uh, but when it's not but when it's either not a necessary phase or it's not a socially acceptable phase, it's it's or or perhaps they have like 
passed over the time where they are supposed to have transitioned, right? Ooh, yeah. Like it, it. We we look back on it almost with this this type of nostalgia when eighteen year olds go and like party it up on spring break. But if you're like a thirty seven year old living in you know Kansas like, City, your can, Kansas basement, City, Missouri, right. you can't go out with your buddy right. when he comes back into town and just like tie right. one on and spray paint a car because you get arrested for that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like there is a not so subtle period where it is no longer okay to uh, exist in this liminal space. Mm-hmm. You got to pick, you know, like you got to grow out of that space and, and like, I don't know, get an apartment and a car that's not a Jeep Grand yeah. Cherokee or, you know, that your parents yeah. paid for or something, yeah. right? And like it just is it. a thing that has I to happen. You. I hear you. Huh. So, yeah, super, super, super interesting. I have got a plug. Uh, the article that I read um, about this that that really got me thinking about liminal spaces in a completely kind of kind of new and different way, and that was um, an article that was written by Matt Carden. So Matt Carden is uh, not only is he the editor of um, Vestarian, but he is also a short fiction writer himself. He writes a lot of nonfiction as well. He wrote a book, a reference book called Horror Literature Through History. That is cool. really, uh, I've heard all kinds of great things about it. Uh, it's a two volume, basically like encyclopedia. I've heard all kinds of awesome stuff about it. I've not got a, gotten a hold of a copy to read, but I would recommend that if you are in college or have access to a public library, you see if they have one. And if they don't, maybe request that they buy it because uh, I've heard nothing but great stuff about it. Anyways, yeah. um, he wrote a... Um, a article called Liminal Terror and Collective Identity in Thomas Ligotti's The Shadow at the Bottom of the World. And this this originally appeared in a book called The Thomas Ligotti Reader, but is reprinted on an internet website. Uh, I'll put the link to it. And the only reason I'm going to put the link to it is because on Matt Carden's um, website, he links directly to it. So he, he the, the author obviously w- wants you to read this. Um, And it's super, super interesting if you've read any Ligotti. He basically takes um, the liminal terror aspects that we have been talking about, and he applies them to a particular short story that Thomas Ligotti wrote. And there are so many instances of this liminality over and over again. Uh, Matt Carden's also got a great way of explaining exactly what it is, uh, liminality and the liminal terror. And, uh, and then um, applies another really interesting concept, which is this collective identity that we see in that particular short story, because it's the only short story I've ever seen that is written in um, the first person plural uh, uh, tense, right? What do you like? We, well, like, uh, then we did this, then we did that. Then we did this. We 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 we. But but there but there aren't multiple people. It's kind of the collective of the town, sort of. He also he so, he, he so, also gets uh, into before you into, into use it to 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 explain. Uh, so it, so some of the characters are not part of the we the collective identity of the town. And okay, yeah. hey Mike, 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 Mike. Truth or dare? Truth or dare? Uh, truth. Why don't you explain a little bit of this Thomas Ligotti story so we have a basis to kind of evaluate this? Oh story. man, um, I gosh, I 
if it spoiler alert for shadow at the uh, bottom of the world yeah you know so if i don't do it right do i do i die in some sort of terrible accident boy i hope not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Careful of those billiard balls. But. Listen, Tyler, I reject your liminality, and I will take a truth and a dare <laughs> at the same time. Um, so, the shadow at the bottom of the world is this little town that is stuck in perpetual autumn, and okay, cool. then some weird stuff starts to happen. This um, this scarecrow kind of comes alive, and this huge pit opens up. And it's it's in a farmer's field that's slightly outside of the town. So there's all of this in-betweenness, right? There's the in-betweenness of the farmer who is not really part of the town but comes to town very often. Um, so he's not part of the country. He's not part of the town. He's in-between. He comes back and forth. Um, the scarecrow, which starts to move around like a person, is not really a person, but it's in the form of a person. So there's another kind of liminality right there. Sure. Autumn is liminality uh, because it's between mm-hmm. summer and, and, and winter. And um, then what winds up happening is this this autumn is, is stays around. And the, um, the townspeople can't see like what is going on and like why this like uh, hole has opened up in this farmer's field why the scarecrow was doing all this weird stuff um and 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 why autumn just won't seem to end and it builds to this climax where the um the farmer kind of knows something and these two outsiders come to town and essentially what happens is they have to like murder the, uh, the he has to he has to in a ritual murder these 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 outsiders but instead turns the knife on himself and and sacrifices himself and it's it's a very bizarre story because it's told in this first person um uh plural which makes it very it's it's a very odd story the first time i read it i don't think i really got it until after i read matt carden's work about it it's it's super super interesting Super, super interesting. Okay. And and, and yeah. so and and then he uses that um, to go back and explain a little bit about what is called because uh, it because it originally appeared in uh, Grimscribe. Grimscribe, his lives and works. I think was the subtitle of that. So the idea is that each one of the stories is told from this this ancient being called called Grimscribe that is living through these other people it's and then the and then this one is this whole town it is super super interesting you got to read it you got to read it guys this is this this, okay. this shit's awesome i love it so okay in truth yeah, so uh, truth if i would have known you were going to ask me about that i would have prepared a little bit better cuz i don't think that's a very that's not no, a very I good summary good. no i thought that was i thought okay. that was good well done you survived mm. that's all that matters all right all right Okay, Matt Carden so, stuff is real good though. So, yeah. Yeah. I- anything else you want to add about Matt Carden? There, there is somebody knocking on the door, so um, we we oh. can ignore that for a little while. No, 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 no. I think I think it's good. Let's let's see what a- anonymous Amazon customer has to say. In case anyone missed the last episode, anonymous Amazon Amazon customer has come back from the summer and. Uh, 
is just he's got a new he's attitude. Got, he's got he's a got new a attitude. great attitude. Um, is just really applying um, themselves. So let's see what uh, <laughs> let's, see, let's see let's see what anonymous Amazon customer has to say about the liminal space denial that is truth or dare. Oh man, I can tell by the look on his face. It's not gonna be not gonna be great. Uh, okay. Anonymous Amazon customer said, if you dared me to watch this movie again under the same circumstances as the characters, I'd choose whatever horrific fate awaited me for rejecting the dare. <laughs> nice. Nice. I mean, so let's take a moment. Uh, if the if the movie held out, right? And it was like, watch me again. And you were like, no way. I'm not going to do that. How how would it kill you? You think like it would like spit the DVD out and like slit your you know? Oh, that'd be that, that'd be a good one. That'd be a good one. I don't know. I'd probably choke on a bottle cap or something. I don't know. Something something really lame. <laughs> why, why would a bottle cap be in your mouth? Hey man, come on. Hey, don't don't come at me, bro. <laughs> you're you're the worst at this I game. I know. I know. How <laughs> I'm really glad you never produced a Final Destination. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Oh, hey. Um, so, the the mall just uh, just a couple miles away from my house uh, has a pedestrian bridge that runs over the highway right in front of it. A uh, front end or not uh, an excavator hit it and uh, almost knocked it down. See that that would have made that sense. You were it. like, um, I'm I'm not going to. Here's how this would work, Michael. All right, let me do your mm-hmm. job for you. No, I'm not going to watch this terrible movie again. I'm going to return it to the red box. Let me walk across this pedestrian bridge. Oh, wait, an excavator hits it while I'm walking across it. And, oh, shit, I fell and uh, died. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Or you ju- or you All just right, return see? to the red box and the red box falls on you. Anyways, um, I, I, oh, I, I, I reject yeah. your liminal spaces, okay? I, 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 will, I refuse to truth or dare any longer. Will not do it. <laughs> no more. Oh man! All right, no more. shoot! I had a really, I had a really good dare for you. Too. Yeah, all right, that's okay. Fine. All right, Mike. I know this was not your favorite movie, uh, but I appreciate you talking uh, through what I think are some really interesting things that horror movies do with adolescents and teenagers and uh, the movie Truth or Dare. So and, I'm glad you gave it. I gave it a yeah, try. And, so, and 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. It made a hundred million dollars in the box office. Guess how much it cost to produce? Mm, three and a half million. That's exactly yeah. right. I'm, lo- I'm looking at the IMDb page too. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. an asshole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that being said, uh, the the ones that are not operating in liminal spaces are Blumhouse, which continue to ratchet out these <laughs> movies that sometimes are great, sometimes are awful, but always make them a gazillion dollars when it comes to risk versus reward. Yeah, you know? yeah. So anyways, I don't know, maybe some homework. You know, next time you're watching a movie or, or, or reading, a, um, reading a book, uh, you know, think about the liminal spaces and think about how that's used to create uh, create the horror. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty interesting, and we're gonna we're we're yeah. gonna we're definitely gonna gonna re um, revisit this one. I'm sure because there's there's a lot of crossover yeah. with Uncanny Valley, and there's a lot of crossover with just a whole lot of other horror concepts as well. So, but we would love it if you wanted to reach out. Uh, we have a Facebook group called uh, the Horror Pod Class. 
just search for it on Facebook and you can totally look us up and leave us a comment about what your favorite example of maybe a liminal space, certainly your favorite example of a horror movie that uses that, we would love to hear from you. You can either hit us up there or you can check us out on Twitter uh, at Signal Horizon or on Facebook at Signal Horizon. We have, um, so yeah, check us out on Facebook or um, Twitter and you can uh, tell us what your favorite example from a horror movie is of perhaps a liminal space. Or maybe uh, if you loved Truth or Dare, advocate for your movie, man. Tell us what we're missing. Tell us why this uh, should be in our top ten of the year or whatever. We probably still won't believe you. Yeah, either. or heck, maybe maybe you're one of the um, fine academics over at WhedonStudies.tv that uh, have written some awesome articles about uh, horror or science fiction. We would love to read them and then, uh, you know talk about them because we just we're just big yeah. fans of weed and studies out here man right right uh no i think you're confusing that with weed studies mm. which was more or less the last two years mm. of your college so. yeah yeah <laughs> oh nice one nice one yeah no i actually i i, I have good. a i have a um i have a graduate degree in weed and studies so <laughs> I would totally get a master's degree in that if that were off like i would do that in i would love it yeah yeah so hey man what are we going to talk about next week I think next week we are going to talk about uh, the Amityville Horror and the New American Gothic. Huh. Interesting. I like it. We'll be able to delineate what the old American Gothic was versus the new American Gothic, and then we'll make sure that absolutely nothing falls between the cracks into some sort of weird liminal space between the two. <laughs> exactly. The limit. We will call that space, though, if it happens, the liminal American Gothic. Liminal American Gothic, yes. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Holy I'm, shit. We've said that word too many times oh, tonight. Hey, hey. Thanks for sticking with us, though, everybody. Yeah, and hey, if you find out that we've been pronouncing the word liminal wrong, uh, please tell us. Until then, class dismissed. 